Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. And before we get into it today, I want to start by thanking everyone for their donations, thoughts, and prayers for my family, my in-laws, and my hometown, which were all severely affected by Hurricane Ian. If you've been following, then you know that we made it to Florida and are here distributing supplies to those in need. I seriously cannot thank you all enough. Because of you, we were able to help not only our entire families, but several others in need of serious help. I will forever be grateful for your generosity and support. I'm still in Florida and coming to you from my sister's closet. She is the only person in my life right now that has power, and her house is being used as a staging area for supplies and the sole place for everyone to take a shower. So if things sound a little different than normal, it's because I'm currently camped out in the closet and a house full of people, recording this before heading back out to work. I planned on recording before we left the state of Georgia, but getting all the supplies together took longer than we expected. So we just took the show on the road. With all that being said, today I'll be covering the mass stabbing that occurred on James Smith Cree Nation in Saskatchewan, Canada. Let's get right to it. Like many First Nations communities, James Smith Cree Nation is extremely tight-knit. With a population of around 1,900 people, everyone knows everyone, and for many, several generations live right there together. It's usually a peaceful and calm place, but in early September of 2022, it was anything but. It all started at 5.40 a.m. on September 4th with a call to the RCMP to report a stabbing on the reservation. Minutes later, another call came in, and then another, reporting additional stabbings all at different locations around the community. With each call, information began to trickle in. According to News Nation, officials learned that there were two suspects. And these two men were kicking in doors, stabbing anyone they could find inside, and then moving on to the next house. Photos were later posted by local community members of bedroom doors that had been kicked in so hard that the doorknob had broken through the drywall behind the door. By 5.58 a.m., the first med flight dispatched to assist the victims. The Saskatoon Star Phoenix reported that patients were being triaged on scene. Just 18 minutes after the initial call to police and multiple victims had been found, with injuries severe enough, they needed a med vac. At 6.45 a.m., a second med flight was dispatched to the scene, and two minutes later, a third. The peace and quiet of the community was shattered with lights, sirens, and aircraft. At around 7 a.m., more than 7 million people woke up to a bone-chilling alert on their cell phones. It read, A dangerous person's alert is being issued by the Melfort RCMP after several calls of stabbings on the James Smith Cree Nation. 
Saskatoon RCMP is responding and trying to locate two male suspects. If in the area, seek immediate shelter or shelter in place. Use caution allowing others into your residence. Do not leave a secure location. Do not approach suspicious persons. Do not pick up hitchhikers. Report suspicious persons, emergencies, or information to 911. Do not disclose police locations. By 7.57 a.m., RCMP updated the alert, announcing that they had identified two suspects, Damien and Miles Sanderson. Damien Sanderson was described as 5'7 and 155 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. And Miles Sanderson was 6'1 and 200 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. They told the public that if they saw them in the area to seek immediate shelter or to shelter in place. Those local to the community knew something the general public didn't yet. Damien and Miles were brothers. But what couldn't be understood is why these two were terrorizing their own community. Another update came through roughly 20 minutes later, stating that the vehicle the two men were traveling in, a black Nissan Rogue, was Saskatchewan license plate number 119MPI. Now that RCMP knew the suspects had access to a vehicle, they expanded the alert beyond the James Smith Cree Nation throughout the entire province of Saskatchewan. According to the Star Phoenix, a photo was posted online by a community member with the caption, This is my brother's vehicle that they had taken when they entered our home this morning on James Smith Cree Nation. We can care less about the vehicle, but let these monsters be caught. As day broke on James Smith Cree Nation, the devastation became clear. Reports began to surface of the horrific scene that had unfolded over the previous hours. Heavy spoke to one local man who had barely escaped the attacks. He said, They showed up at my dad's as my brother called me to let me know what was going on. I didn't stick around to answer the door. If I had answered the door without knowing what was going on within the two minutes, it would have been bad. A man named Michael Burns spoke to News Nation and said there were bodies everywhere, that it looked like a war zone, and his former partner was one of the victims that were killed. Reports that grandparents were stabbed as their family begged the men to stop, and children were reportedly stabbed trying to protect their mothers. A local posted on Facebook saying they saw a child that was at least 11 sitting on the sidewalk with a stab wound to his chest. The local said they hugged the child and that he said he had tried to save his mom. Thankfully, it appears that the 11-year-old recovered, as later reports from Globe and Mail said that an 11-year-old who was stabbed was released from the hospital with stitches. At 10.05 a.m., RCMP issued another update, stating that there were multiple victims at multiple locations, including the James Smith Cree Nation and nearby village of Weldon. Early indications led them to believe that the victims were being attacked randomly. With each update, the tension and fear grew. No one knew when and where they would strike next. And conflicting reports led to confusion and orders to shelter in place in multiple communities. RCMP received one report that the suspects may be traveling in the Arcola Avenue area around 11.45 a.m., headed to Regina, which is roughly three hours away from the James Smith Cree Nation. One local said they were probably going to their aunt's house off of Ray Street, which was in Regina, just a few miles from where the vehicle was reportedly spotted. 
According to the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, another report came in that a woman and her daughter saw the suspects in Weldon. The 89-year-old was sitting on the porch with her daughter when the vehicle sped by and then they were approached by a man saying he was hurt and needed help. But he ran away when her daughter said she'd call for help. The witnesses reported that he had a jacket over his face and his face was injured so bad that he couldn't show it. When they asked him his name, he mumbled it twice, but they couldn't make out what he was saying. News Nation reported a slightly different version of events, stating that a man came up speeding in a dark SUV, saying that he needed someone to take him to the hospital because his mouth hurt and that he had been stabbed. When they asked to see his wound, he fled. By 12.46 p.m., locals were reporting to the news outlets that the entire James Smith Cree Nation was on lockdown and RCMP were going door-to-door -door doing checks on all the residents. It seemed they were searching not only for the suspects, but also whether or not there were more victims. A resident posted a photo of one of the RCMP officers to let everyone know that they were doing these checks in full uniform and to warn others not to answer their doors unless it was police officials. At 3.40 p.m., the RCMP held a news conference announcing that there are far more than two victims. Ten people had been killed, and 15 more had been injured in the attacks. And those attacks spanned across 13 different locations. According to the Calgary City News, they announced that both Miles and Damian Sanderson were wanted on charges of first-degree murder and attempted murder. For Damian, he was charged with one count of murder in the first degree. But Miles was facing three counts and additional counts of breaking and entering as well. Those at James Smith Cree Nation hunkered down in their homes and waited for further updates. According to the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, at 8 p.m., the Regina police chief announced that they believed the suspects were likely in Regina and they had dedicated several resources to finding them and keeping the community safe. But the reservation at James Smith Cree Nation remained on lockdown as well. Roadblocks were set up around Prince Albert in an attempt to catch the suspects if they headed in that direction. A mobile command center was set up and officers patrolled throughout the night. As night fell, the entire province of Saskatchewan was on high alert, looking over their shoulders and waiting for the next attack. The community was in a state of terror. Residents stayed inside with their doors locked, too afraid to go outside, saying no one will ever want to answer the door again. One man said that when he went into town earlier that day to buy a birthday cake, he left his daughter at home with two guns and a bat to protect herself. According to the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, the following morning on Monday, September 5th, the province awoke to flags across the nation lowered at half-staff and it was announced that it would stay that way for the next 10 days, one day for each of the victims that had lost their lives. It was also announced that the number of injured had risen from 15 to 18, and four of those injured were still in critical condition. And one more person was now dead. The RCMP announced that one of the suspects, 31-year-old Damian Sanderson, had been found deceased. Initially, no additional information was reported about where or how Damien died. But the threat to the community wasn't over, because Miles Sanderson was still on the loose. 
local community members did reveal a bit more about the circumstances surrounding the death of Damian Sanderson. Speaking to the media and revealing that he had been found in the bush near one of the crime scenes at James Smith Cree Nation. But what had happened? Had Damien killed himself? Had he been injured as one of the victims fought back to defend themselves? It didn't take long before one of those theories was ruled out, after Stripes.com reported that it was believed that Damien Sanderson's injuries were not self-inflicted after he was found in what was described as, quote, heavily grassed area near a home that was being processed. And further, he had injuries that were obvious and visible, but his official cause of death was not yet known. It sounded like there were so many injuries they didn't quite know which one had killed him. Another theory surfaced when reporters asked an RCMP representative if Miles was responsible for his brother's death and they said it was definitely a possibility and something they were looking into, but they didn't know for sure at this point. This was the first time anyone in the media had called them brothers, although locals had reported that they were. This was the first time it had been confirmed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This announcement left so many questions unanswered. If Damien had been found at James Smith Cree Nation, was Miles solely responsible for the death of the elderly man in the nearby village of Weldon? Had Miles killed Damien? Had Damien been a victim of his brothers all along? If that was the case, why had he also been charged with murder? Witness accounts in the beginning did say there were two suspects. But that woman and her daughter had told that story about the injured man approaching them, asking for help and running away. Is it possible that was Damien? Another local had posted that they saw one of them walking towards Pepsi Park, which was just south of the roadblocks in Prince Albert. That suspect was wearing red sunglasses and a black hat. The witness reported that at one point the suspect took off his sunglasses and looked at him. And when he did, the man just looked, quote, out of it. There were different accounts and sightings all over the place, making it impossible to pinpoint exactly where Miles was, or if it had been Miles and Damien, or just Miles. And further, a local man reported that RCMP told him that none of these sightings had actually been confirmed by officials. It seemed no one really knew where Miles was and if he had killed his brother. All of the uncertainty left the residents in fear, and another night passed with Miles still on the loose. The next date was September 6, 2022, and the RCMP was still in the middle of a massive manhunt for Miles Sanderson. News broke that Miles had been a fugitive for much longer than anyone previously knew. As it turned out, he had been wanted for four months after being granted statutory release in August of 2021 after an almost five-year prison sentence for robbery and assault. 
His parole had been revoked a few months later after he failed to communicate with his parole officer. A $2,000 reward had been offered for the apprehension of Sanderson as far back as May 27, 2022, when Saskatoon Today actually posted four people on the wanted list. One of them was Miles Sanderson. Why had he ever been set free in the first place? Statutory release in Canada is where someone serves at least two-thirds of their sentence and then is released on supervision. According to the Canadian press, parole documents revealed they reinstated Sanderson's statutory release without any reprimand, stating it is the board's opinion that you will not present an undue risk to society if released on statutory release and that your release will contribute to the protection of society by facilitating your reintegration into society as a law-abiding citizen. It had literally done the opposite. With the car being stolen and countless people being killed and injured, he did exactly what he'd been put away for, but multiplied and escalated. Many were shocked when they learned of Miles Sanderson's criminal record. The sheer number of convictions was breathtaking. According to parole documents, Miles Sanderson had 59 convictions prior to his rampage, many of them violent, and they began when he was a teenager. The documents revealed that his childhood was a cycle of abuse and that at age 12, Sanderson began drinking and smoking weed to cope. Those habits led to cocaine use, which eventually spiraled into crystal meth, and that laundry list of violent crimes. This could easily become a three-part series if we covered all of Sanderson's 59 crimes. So I'll spare you and give you some of the more serious ones. Court documents revealed that Sanderson had attacked his in-laws, Earl and Joyce Burns, in 2015, stabbing Earl Burns repeatedly and wounding Joyce Burns. He later pleaded guilty to assault and threatening Earl. In 2017, he barged into his ex-girlfriend's home, punched a hole in the door of a bathroom while his two children were hiding in a bathtub, and then threw a cement block at a vehicle parked outside. I'd like to note here that Miles was the father of five children. According to KFYR-TV, his children had witnessed his violence on multiple occasions. A few days after the incident at his ex-girlfriend's home, Sanderson threatened to kill a store employee and burn down his parents' house. In November of 2017, he threatened an accomplice and hit him in the head with a firearm, then stomped on him and made him rob a fast food place. The details of that November 2017 crime added more credibility to the theory that his brother Damien could have been an unwilling accomplice to the stabbings. In 2018, Miles stabbed two people at his house with a fork, attacked a man walking nearby, and beat him until he lost consciousness in a ditch. He was wanted in connection with that crime, located two months later, and when they tried to arrest him, he kicked an officer in the face and on top of his head repeatedly. The Canadian press reported that Sanderson claimed alcohol and drugs contributed to his crimes telling the parole board that regular drug use and alcohol would make him, quote, lose his mind and get angry. The brutality of these events highlighted the larger issue of the crisis of substance abuse issues for Indigenous communities. Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations Chief Bobby Cameron spoke to the Saskatoon Star Phoenix and said, 
This is the destruction we face when harmful illegal drugs invade our communities, and we demand all authorities to take direction from the chiefs and councils and their membership to create safer and healthier communities for our people. He went on to speak about the epidemic rates of alcohol and drug addiction on Canadian reservations and the link between substance abuse and the legacy of trauma in Indigenous communities stemming from the dark history of residential schools. According to the business standard from the 19th century until the 1970s, more than 150,000 Native children in Canada were ripped from their families and placed in government-funded Christian residential boarding schools. The aim was to Christianize and assimilate them into mainstream society, which previous Canadian governments considered superior. Indigenous leaders have linked that legacy of abuse and isolation at those residential schools as a root cause of the epidemic rates of alcohol and drug addiction now seen on Canadian reservations. Family members of the victims echoed the chief's sentiments that drugs had definitely played a role in the violent attacks. Michael Burns told ATPN, It's sick how jail time, drugs, and alcohol can destroy so many lives. Stephanie T. spoke to News Nation, stating, I hate drugs and alcohol. Her sister and nephew were two of the victims. As those in the community tried to make sense of what had led to the brutal attacks and murder of 10 people, the RCMP was still out looking for Sanderson, and leads were coming in from all over. Another alert was sent out to residents of James Smith Cree Nation at 1.53 p.m. on September 6, stating there was a report of a possible sighting on the reservation. At around 2 p.m., a local posted, North End of James Smith, Lock your doors, barricade yourselves in, and definitely arm yourselves. Miles is extremely dangerous. I'm ready to defend our lives. 30 minutes later, a local who lost his mom said that Miles was back in James Smith Cree Nation and that he is praying nothing else happens and they're able to bring him down. Someone commented saying that the cops were actually chasing him. The Globe and Mail reported that a house on the reservation was surrounded by RCMP with guns drawn. Entrances and exits were locked down, and helicopters flew above, checking in the vehicles. But CBS reported moments later that it was a false alarm and an alert was sent out letting residents know that. Heavy police presence remained between James Smith Cree Nation and the village of Weldon. At around 6 p.m., Regina police said they had information that led them to believe that Miles was no longer in Regina. The information and alerts were being updated constantly, and it seemed no one could pinpoint exactly where Sanderson was. Another night passed with the province gripped in fear. The next morning, September 7th, was much of the same. There were unconfirmed sightings and alerts issued to multiple communities. That afternoon, according to BBC, police received a report at 2.10 p.m. that Sanderson was armed with a knife and outside a residence from which he stole a woman's white SUV. The woman's son spoke to CBC and recounted the events, stating that his mom spotted Sanderson walking up to her front door, so she locked it and took refuge in a bathroom in her bedroom. Sanderson then kicked down the front door and went into the bedroom, telling the woman he would not hurt her, and asking her to come with him, but she refused. 
So he took the woman's car keys along with her mobile phone, water, a soft drink, and cigarettes. The woman was able to call police through a landline phone. According to Discover Weyburn, this prompted RCMP to issue another alert around 3 o'clock p.m., stating that there was an armed individual with a knife in the Wacaw area, which is just over an hour southwest of James Smith Cree Nation. The alert further stated that the suspect was traveling in a 2008 white Chevrolet Avalanche with Saskatchewan license 953 LPL that had been reported stolen around 2.10. The last known location of the suspect was traveling in Wacaw on Cemetery Road. The direction of travel was unknown and there were unknown persons involved. Police announced they believe this incident could be related to the dangerous person alert issued on Sunday after the multiple stabbings in the James Smith Cree Nation and in Weldon. And it turned out it definitely was. According to the BBC, the SUV was spotted speeding on the highway. After a high-speed pursuit, upwards of 93 miles an hour, officers forced the vehicle into a ditch after they, quote, connected with the vehicle and removed it from the roadway. Miles Sanderson was taken into custody at about 3.30 p.m. local time. A knife was recovered when he was arrested, according to the police chief. The province breathed a collective sigh of relief and waited for Miles Sanderson to be held accountable for his horrific actions. But Miles wouldn't be held accountable, at least not in a courtroom, because soon after he was taken into custody, the RCMP stated he, quote, went into medical distress. He was transported to the hospital where he was later pronounced deceased. And though authorities have released no official cause of death while they await autopsy and toxicology reports, sources close to the investigation have revealed to Global News and CBC that Sanderson died of an overdose after he ingested drugs prior to his arrest. There was some speculation since Anderson died in police custody that he could have been fatally injured at the hands of officers. However, Chief Coroner Clive Wayhill spoke to Post Media and did confirm that preliminary autopsy results show he didn't suffer from blunt force trauma, indicating that the drug overdose scenario is most likely. With both brothers dead, so many questions remain. The chief coroner spoke to the National Post, stating, With the suspects deceased, there will not be a public criminal trial. It will leave many questions unanswered from the families involved and the public pertaining to the circumstances leading to the deaths. As the weeks have passed and the investigation has progressed, it seems that this entire rampage is likely the responsibility of Miles Sanderson alone. The Globe and Mail reported on that Friday previous to the attack, September 2nd, Miles had assaulted his wife yet again. He attacked her, blackened her eyes, tried to run her over with a car, and was threatening to kill his parents. According to Damien's wife, Skye Sanderson, as she spoke to the outlet, further stating that Damien was trying to protect her. Earlier in the summer, Miles had scared Damien so badly that Damien had barricaded Skye and their kids in a bedroom and stayed up all night, watching for Miles because he was afraid of what his brother might do. When Skye asked what had frightened him that night, Damien told her Miles said he felt like killing his wife. He told Damien, if I do, I'm going to take out 10 other people. After Miles left, Damien went after him with intentions to calm him down. 
but as we know, there was no stopping Miles. Regardless of the exact reason, the entire community of James Smith Cree Nation and the village of Weldon has been devastated by the attacks and will never be the same again. Being such a small community, there's no one that hasn't been affected, and some lost multiple members of their families in one violent act. The Globe and Mail reported that when police arrived to the home of Bonnie and Brian Buggy Burns in those early morning hours of September 4th, 48-year-old Bonnie, her son Gregory Burns, 28, and Gloria Burns, a 61-year-old community support worker who had come to the house to help after receiving a crisis call, were all found dead. Bonnie and Buggy's 11-year-old son had been stabbed in the neck. Their two other sons and two foster children were terrorized. One of them hid behind a high chair during the murders. Family members spoke out to the Washington Post and remembered Bonnie as a woman who always put others before herself. She worked at a local school and was fostering two children, and she often volunteered and cooked for community celebrations. Her family wants her to be remembered not as a victim, but as the hero she was. Lena Head and her husband Christian were killed in their own home, their bodies discovered by Christian's sister who called their brother Stuart. Stuart recalled the events to CTV News saying his sister called and told him, Our brother's laying here dead in the house and there's blood all over the place. He's not breathing. He's got no pulse. And further, his niece and brother-in-law had also been attacked. The niece was stabbed in the neck four times and three times in her side, but she survived and had since been released from the hospital. The brother-in-law remained in the hospital on life support. Stewart also spoke on Miles Sanderson, stating he didn't know what the motive behind the attacks were, but, quote, A lot of people say he had a hit list. If he didn't like you in the past, you were on that list. Earl Burns Sr. was described as a cowboy. He was a Canadian Army veteran, community bus driver, and residential school survivor. He was killed protecting his wife and grandchildren, and according to Heavy, his wife was seriously injured in the attack. Earl died a hero, according to the Globe and Mail. After he was injured, Earl tried to run the killer down, but he died in his school bus between his home and the village. The yellow bus came to rest in a ditch, the vehicle and the ground below streaked and stained with blood. Earl and Joyce Burns were Miles' in-laws, and this was not the first time he had attacked them. In 2015, he was charged with attempted murder for repeatedly stabbing Earl Burns Sr. and aggravated assault for a serious attack on Joyce. Family members reported to the Globe and Mail that these were not the only incidents and many others were never reported to the police. Thomas Burns was a 23-year-old father found dead in his driveway. He died trying to protect his 46-year-old mother, Carol Burns, who was also found stabbed to death inside her home. Wes Peterson was a 77-year-old widower who lived in Weldon. He loved making jam and his cats and was always there to help out his neighbors. According to the Saskatoon star Phoenix, he was attacked in his home as his adult grandson was in the basement on the phone with 911, begging for help. It's believed that the last victim to be killed was Robert Sanderson, who was 49, of James Smith Cree Nation. 
While he shares the last name of the killer, officials state that they will not be disclosing the relationship of the victims. It's unknown if there is a connection, and authorities further stated that they would not be offering any more information about those that were wounded. Other than there was a total of 18, almost all of them adult men and women, and one teenager. It appears at this time that Damien too was murdered at the hands of his brother, attempting to defuse the situation. The James Smith Cree Nation is still reeling from the huge loss in their community. There are still crime scenes in the process of getting cleaned up, a constant reminder of the terror that gripped their community for four terrifying days, and the loss of 11 lives, Damien included. A trust fund was set up by the James Smith Cree Nation Emergency Operations Center to assist the family members of those who lost their lives, and the goal of $100,000 was met quickly. It reached $119,000 total before being closed out. Officials with James Smith Cree Nation urged the public not to contribute to any other GoFundMes that might be floating around on the internet stating that they will update the public if more assistance is needed. In the aftermath, the James Smith Cree Nation remains a strong and proud community despite everything that has happened. According to Global News, as of the date of this recording, three community fish fries have been held to honor the lives lost and begin the healing process, as is common in the indigenous culture. Feasts have been used for generations to bring people together to eat and begin healing. Donations came in from all over Canada to assist with these gatherings. And other communities showed up to eat together and support the resilient and gracious people of James Smith Cree Nation. Alvin Mustus, the Vice Chief Counselor for the Nation, spoke to Global News stating, I do believe we will come together. Right now we are knocked down, but we will get back up. We will get back up with pride. I have no doubt he is right. One more thing before we go. I just want to say thank you all again for your support over the past few days. I don't know where I'd be without you guys. I also want to give a huge thank you to my BFF, Heather Ashley at Big Mad True Crime, for her assistance in researching this case and everything else over the past few days. Also, our friend Jake Deptula from Strictly Stalking and Lori at Dealing Justice. Y'all have been instrumental in supporting me and keeping me sane throughout this process. I love y'all more than my luggage and I'm so grateful for the community that has brought us all together. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcasts. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you an all-new case next week, and I can't wait. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.